You want a better running shoe? You gotta check out the Let'sRun.com Better Running Shoe site, where we combine data science and running shoe reviews from the most dedicated runners on the planet. That's you. Let's Run Visitor Schly is 14. He actually checked out the number one rated shoe on here. The Asics Super Blast. Asics is paying us nothing for this. But Schleiss 14 trusted reviews, bought the shoe, and here's what he says. This is probably the best overall daily trainer I've ever run in. I typically don't run in Asics, but giving the outstanding reviews and LRC better shoes, I decided to give them a try. They are worth every penny and effortlessly take 15 seconds off each mile. He continues on. The last shoe I felt this strongly about and coincidentally selected because of overwhelmingly positive reviews on the old LRC shoe review site was the Adidas Boston 8. While a completely different type of shoe, it brings back the same joy and effortless propulsion I fondly recall from that old Boston. Good job, Asics. Good job, LRC Better Shoes. So find a better shoe. The number one shoe may not be for you, but you can find the most durable shoe, the most comfortable shoe. You can see how your shoe compares to other shoes. Let's run.com slash shoes or betterrunningshoes.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. The 2023 Bank of America Chicago Marathon was unlike anything we've ever seen, and we're going to break it all down on today's show. Kenya's Kelvin Kiptum ran a staggering two hours, 35 seconds to break Elliot Kipchoge's world record. He's still only 23 years old, we think, but his coach says he needs to slow down in training or else he'll be out of the sport in five years. A little further back, Connor Mance and Clayton Young both hit the Olympic standard to ensure we'll have two American men in Paris next year. While Galen Rupp retired, could only finish eighth in 208.48. On the women's side, Safan Hassan continued her incredible 2023 season. She takes the victory in 213.44. That would have been a world record a little over two weeks ago, people. Right now, it's the number two time ever and it came just six weeks after she tripled at the World Championships in Budapest. Does that make her the greatest female runner of all time? We'll talk about that. Emily Sisson led the way for the Americans, seventh place, 222.09. And Molly Seidel is back, baby, running a PB of 223.07 for eighth. Craziness in the Windy City. This is Jonathan Galt. I am here with the co-founders of Let's Run.com, Robin and Weldon Johnson, mere hours before their baseball teams square off in a pivotal Game 3 of the American League Division Series, Orioles-Rangers, win or go home for Robert's Orioles. We probably won't talk about that. There is a lot of running stuff we need to cover here. Guys, welcome to the show. I want to start with a question. Which of these two performances were cra- was crazier? Kelvin Kiptum, a human being, running two hours, 35 seconds for a marathon? Or Safan Hassan, a woman, running 2.13.44, six weeks after meddling in the 1,500 meters at the World Championships? What is blowing your mind more of those two stats? Before I answer that, John, can I apologize to the running god up there? 
He punished me on Sunday since I didn't watch Chicago live. Gave me two crushing losses. Baltimore sports teams back-to-back in the span of about six hours. I apologize. I was at a wedding. I promised to watch all World Marathon majors from start to finish. If my team can win tonight. Robert, I'm not sure about the running guard if he operates that way because I was in Chicago. I watched the whole thing from start to finish and my Patriots got shut out 34-0 by the New Orleans Saints. So I don't really know if paying attention to majors has anything to do with your team's sporting outcomes. But let me try to answer your question, John, in a roundabout way. I woke up a Sunday morning, night after a wedding with my Cornell boys. By the way, if you're next Cornell runner and you haven't joined the supporters club, join today, let'srun.com slash subscribe. And I looked at the clock. I'm in the mountain time zone. And it's like 8.31. And I thought, that's 9.30 Chicago time, 9.31. I'm like, wow, the Chicago Marathon's ending, like right now. Like one minute, because I predicted a 202. I'm like, it could have already ended. And I literally went to Let's Run, click on streaming. I see NBC Chicago, I click on that. And what do I see on my screen? I see this, well, it was Calvin Kiptum, hugging Kerry Kompadenkowski at the finish line. And closed captioning is on. It says, amazing. And I'm thinking, they look really, really happy. Of course, Chicago is the only world marathon major that doesn't have a clock at the finish line consistently. By the way, the, the broadcast is terrible. I've gone, I've gone back to watch some of it. Every year I say I'm going to offer my services to Chicago, and every year I don't do it. But I, I'm convinced that the three of us with iPhones could broadcast this better than they do. But I was like, wow, this guy is the greatest thing we've ever seen in the marathon. Sorry, Elliot Kipchoge, you're the greatest of all time in the marathon, but We've never seen anything like this. I and mean, that's what we're going to spend the whole show talking about. But then I, my roommate was checking out. He had, his car wasn't jumping, starting. I had to walk outside. I come back. The women's race is over. And I see 213 for Sean. I was like, oh, my God. I visibly gasped. I was like, I think I was just as impressed by that. I, it's just wild. All right, so Robin talked for about two and a half minutes and didn't actually answer the question. Well, then maybe you can do a better job. Kelvin Kiptum, no questions asked. Kenyan journalist Mutori Mutuota said it best on X. It is clear I don't know this sport anymore, he said. Essentially, the comments that this guy's run faster in his three marathons than Gibris Lassie, Turgot, Kipchoge. I mean, none of us, let's be fair, right? None of us knew who this guy was a year ago. Absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely no one did. He'd run 58-42 for the half marathon in Valencia, but that was already that was the race where Kibouat Kandier set the world record. I mean, he was more than a minute behind the winner in that race, so no real reason to remember him from that. And now if I look at the all-time marathon times, I don't see Elliot Kipchoge on top. And I look at the top six times. I see Kelvin Kiptum's name three times. Elliot Kipchoge twice. Kenese Bekele once. This is he's shifted the paradigm. He's doing stuff in these races that we've never seen before. In his three marathons, he's closed in 60-15. 
and 59.47. No one else has ever closed a half marathon faster than 60.33. You mean a full marathon? It's astounding. I mean, let me read from my unpublished week that was. In less than a year, he's run a 201.51 course record and fastest debut ever in Valencia. 201.25 course record in London. Two flat 35 world record in Chicago. Three races, three wins, and an average time of 201.17.7. Elliot Kipchoge's career in the marathon started off incredibly well as well. 205.30 win in Hamburg. 204.05 runner-up in Berlin and 205 win. His average time was 204.51.7. Now, super shoes weren't a thing back then, so let's look at how far off the world record the two men were in their first three races. In Kipchoge's first three races, he was a combined... He was an average of 78.7 seconds off of world record pace. For Kipton's, it's an average of just 8.7 seconds per race off the world record. Look, I agree with you guys that what he's doing is unprecedented. The Kelvin Kipton phenomenon is insane that he's gone to the marathon and just continues to crush the second half. He runs this thing like a track race. He just goes out. He said at 5K, he knew he was going to get the world record in Chicago. And he still had company through halfway, but he was just like, well, I'll just make my normal move at 18 or 19 miles, which most people don't have the luxury of doing that. You're usually hitting the wall. At some point in a marathon, you're going to start hurting. He said he's never felt pain in a marathon. Now, we can kind of depend, d- debate about what he meant by that. Does it mean he was actually in like serious pain or was he hurting? It did look like he might have been hurting a little bit towards the end. Maybe something was lost in translation. But this is a man who has made this 26.2 mile distance just look extraordinarily easy. It's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to look easy. And even Kipchoge, you could see that sort of grimace, the smile he'd get at some of the races. He did make the marathon look easy at some points, but Kiptem's made it look easier than anyone ever. And that said, my mind's still more blown by Safan Hassan. I don't think you guys are properly appreciating what she's done this year. She runs the London Marathon, but doesn't really train like a marathoner. She does her last month of prep in Ramadan. She stops to stretch out halfway, gets dropped. Paula Radcliffe's pleading for her to drop out. She comes back, wins the damn thing over one of the greatest fields ever assembled. Then goes to the track, runs three events of the World Championships, almost wins the 10K, gets the bronze in the 1500 and the silver in the 5000. Then six weeks later, comes back to the marathon and wins Chicago in the second fastest time ever. People will run faster than two hours and 35 minutes in the marathon. Even someone not named Kelvin Kipton eventually is going to do that. I'm not sure as long as I live, I'll ever see someone win two world marathon majors and a medal in the 1500 at the world championships in the same year. I'm so, I, Hassan, she, her, her performance was more impressive when you take that into context. That's my opinion. It certainly may be harder to do, but I don't appreciate it quite as much. It's kind of like the decathlon. Like, it's super hard to do to- all 10 events, but I'm just talking about which is the peak performance that most blew me away, and it's, I'm with Weldon. It's skipped him. So, uh, yes, like, can you imagine Narv Nordes getting a, a running two flat 30? I mean, well, I guess Hassan didn't run the world record. Narv Nordes runs 201. You know, if you heard the goose that ran 201.59 marathon and got in second place, well, I'd been like, okay, that's crazy. I guess, well, Although, no, here's the thing. Well, Yon, 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 hey. I say no one could ever do it. Would I be shocked in like 2027 <laughs> if Jakob Ingebrigtsen decides to do what Hassan did this year 
I could, I actually could see that happening. I'd be extremely impressed, but I don't think it's totally impossible for Jakob. And of course, we were going to get a Jakob Ingebrigtsen mentioned on the podcast, even though track season's over. You didn't think we'd let it go that easily, people. I'd already seen Hassan shock the world and win the London Marathon versus one of the best fields ever. I mean, I guess this is, what, 44 days after the World Championships on the track? And she did run almost five minutes faster. But I don't, I don't know. I already was putting her as one of the top marathoners out there. Okay, the then I'll come back and say, I already knew Kiptum could run this fast because we saw him run 201.25 in London, closing in 59.45 on a shitty weather day. So... We all knew he was capable of this performance. If it wasn't going to come this year, it was going to come next year. The only reason that anyone was having doubts is he said he got a late start in his buildup because of a groin issue, and then because the rainy season impacted his running. But then Ed Eystone said multiple times on the broadcast, he was like, well, I was actually kind of badgering him, and he eventually said he thought he was in better shape than he was ahead of London. So when you put that together, plus the better conditions in Chicago, it's not... I mean. It is crazy to see those numbers actually next to his name, but he said before the Chicago, he thought he'd run too flat at some point. He just didn't think it would be this soon. What have we learned in 2023? When they don't talk about the world record, they break it. Remember when Hassan, did, I mean, when Kip Yegon slow rolled her, was it the 1500 world record? Do we go there now? I mean, John, you mentioned two hours. We All we heard coming in was this guy wasn't in shape. I take you back to September 25th, 2022 on Let'sRun.com. This record could stand for 20 years. Kipchoge is now 32 seconds faster than the number two man in history, Bekele, and a whopping 139 ahead of the number three man. Blah, 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 blah. Paulo Reckless' world record set in 2003 lasted for 16 years, but we wouldn't be shocked if Kipchoge's record stands for a similar amount of time. I mean, well then, I wrote that, and I'll take the L on that. I wrote in 2018 when Kipchoge broke the world record, I said the era of world record chasing is over. And I think in retrospect, I did underestimate the impact of the shoes, but this wasn't the shoes. This is, I didn't think we'd see something like Kelvin Kipton because we've never seen it in the marathon. I thought Kipchoge, this is it. This is the generational talent. This is the guy, he's all-time talent made for the marathon we'll never see anything like that again because we hadn't seen anything like Kipchoge and then for someone else to suddenly spring up a year after Kipchoge runs 20109 I just couldn't see that coming I thought Kipchoge was just a total outlier and we'd never see anything like him and now we've seen someone who at his peak is better correct The, the tennis analogy is the best this is like you know, 2009, 2010, 2009 in tennis. Who's the greatest tennis player of all time? Every, pretty much everyone's going to say Federer. 15 grand slams and Dallas got six and Djokovic has one. Well, Robert, you use this tennis analogy for everything. It, it does make sense, but I think the better analogy in this case, it's Tom Brady and Ellie. Sorry, it's Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. Elliot Kipchoge right now is still the unquestioned, in my mind at least, unquestioned greatest marathoner of all time. What he's done over the last decade, no one's even close to racking that up. But we've now got a guy in Kelvin Kiptum who has 
broken his world record, has run 201 or two flat in all three of his marathons, all of which he's won, three of the six fastest of all time, he's Mahomes. And if he continues on this track, he will surpass Kipchoge eventually. But what made Brady, Brady so great is he did it for two decades. He was winning a Super Bowl when he was 43 years old. We don't know if Patrick Mahomes is going to be able to match that pace. We don't know if Kipton is going to be able to match Kipchoge's pace. So I think that's the analogy I like right now. And that analogy is perfect because well, you watch Mahomes, you know, like Brady was not that good. He, yeah. he did not have the athleticism, the arm. Yeah. No. I mean, Brady was a good – people actually think Tom Brady wasn't a good athlete. That part is dumb because he was drafted in Major League Baseball as well. I mean, the guy is a good, is a good athlete, but he's just – you know, he's not mobile like Mahomes. But, yeah. Kept him at his peak is, is better than Kipchoge. I mean, it's just it's clear to me. And let's, let's just get the elephant out of the room and let's talk about whether this is believable or not. I mean, the message boards and the doubt that people are having about this is significant. And, you know, there's... Uh, uh, I don't know. There, there's a number of ways to think about it. I mean, like people are like... Well, I guess if you're if you're a cynic, you're just like this. This seems too good to be true. And what do we? What, what's the motto of sports? The last 20, 30 years, if it's too good to be true, it generally is too good to be true. But, and Kipton's agent has worked with a number of people who have tested positive. Right? John was telling me a story before we got on the air that someone had come up with a list of the agents and the you know most doping positive over the last five or ten years, and this guy's agent was near the top of the list, if not the top of the list. Right. His agent is Mark Cautions with Galazzo Sports. And here are a few athletes he's represented. 2016 Olympic champion in the steeple, Ruth Jibet, who's banned for EPO. 2016 Olympic silver medalist in the marathon, Eunice Kerwa, banned for EPO. 2017 world's 800 bronze medalist, Kipier Gombet, banned for EPO. Samuel Kalalai, banned for EPO. I mean, can't just say because he's working with the same agent. I mean, a lot of these agents have... 40, 50 clients, but this Mark Horstian's clients don't have a tremendous record. When you're trying to explain these times, right, there's a few things. Generational talent, the shoes, or drugs. Am I missing one? Or a combination of the two. Right. Or all three. And then I think it's what the shoes allow you to do because people are able to train harder, they're able to go out harder in races. They feel better at the end of races. I mean, we just got, we re- published a story today on Let's Run with some insight from Kiptum's coach who spoke to Robin Gremmel of the Agents France Press, which is a wire service. And he was saying Kiptum is running 155 to 170 miles a week and that before London, he was doing three weeks in a row of, more than 300 kilometers, which is 186 miles. He listed out a sample week and it had two track sessions or fart licks and then two hard long runs between 30 and 40 K. I mean, even if you're on drugs, being able to, what we've talked about, okay, drugs allow you to train harder. And if you're trying to do training that people are on drugs are doing, you're probably not going to, your body's probably going to break, break down. I don't know whether Kipton's doping or not, He's never tested pause or anything like that. But whatever, if he's able to withstand that kind of volume and that kind of intensity, 
if, if your body is natu- is able to do that, you are going to get incredible results. But even that, I'm like, I, I see those numbers. I mean, people have run 180 miles a week in the past, but it's not common among regular marathoners. Kipchoge is doing 50, 60 miles a week less, and he trains pretty darn hard. Yeah, and drugs for me isn't a good explanation. I don't know one way or the other, but I'm, I'm like, what, he's on a drug no one else has access to? Because there's speculation a lot of guys are on drugs. So it's never just a simple one-word answer. The training, I'd be curious, is he training in super shoes all the time? Can you do a lot more volume in training? Is that a possibility these days? Have the shoes changed the game there tremendously? And also, if I want to give this guy, I do want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Because I've said, like, it's not fair just to, like, discount something because it's better than anyone else has done before. I mean, I think Paula Radcliffe's times are looking a lot better now. Before, people were like, oh, my God, how is she so much faster than everyone else? Well, now we're seeing the women's times go to the 211s. So Paula Radcliffe is like, yeah, you know, people who doubted me, look at me now. But if I want to be fair, this guy officially is like, what, 16 years younger than Kipchoge? Officially, he was born in December of 1999, which would make him 23 years old. Now, we I heard from a source this week, he's actually born in 1996. And I asked Kipton directly, I said, when's your birthday? He said, December 2nd, 1999, which is what his World Athletics profile says. But there's also then a race report. His first career win was the Elder at Half Marathon in 2018. That report says he was running the race in 2013 and 2014, finishing in the top 10, top 12 when he would have been 13 or 14 years old. So I don't totally know. And then the other thing about him is he said in Valencia he didn't have a coach, but now it's now he said before Chicago he does have a coach, and it's his name's Jervis Hakezimana. He's a Rwandan who lives in France, but will come over to Kenya for training camps and that sort of thing. He said he didn't, you know, he was giving him some advice before Valencia and then claims that he took on a bigger role at the start of 2023. So there's still some things we're trying to figure out. Again, this guy's basically coming out of nowhere. In terms of like the glo- the larger running scene, he was running races before last year, but there's still some stuff we need to figure out. I think that confuses people, but whether he's 23 or 26, he has to be 26, but or whether he has a coach or doesn't have a coach, I mean... This is all confusing. I remember the other thing last year was whether he's with Nike, which he is now, or this Chinese company, which he signed a contract with and had him up on his website until like last week. Like all this is maybe just, it raises doubts or questions. I don't know why it'd be related to doping, but it just, it's a little weird story, but let's, let's think positive because I have not been thinking doping like nothing. Hell, if this guy's on doping, like we think he found a special drug. No one else has. An Ethiopian woman's on it too. We ran two eleven. I don't know, man. It's just I, I was blown away, amazed by this. And John Kellogg is normally very cynical about stuff. And we were trying to think about it a little bit. And he's like, "Well, if Geb ran two hundred four flat, two hundred three fifty nine, right? That was the world record. Couldn't somebody run three minutes faster with super shoes?" Because it's, it's, the shoe itself is probably worth several minutes. And then you can train at a higher level. And it would be interesting to see if he trains in the super shoes. Like, is, is he going through a $300 pair of shoes every two weeks? Well, th- my question about this training, but, Robert, I look at it. If he's running 150 to 170 miles a week and he's running a lot of hard workouts, if you can make it through and your body doesn't break down, then 
maybe that is why he's running so much faster than everyone else. He's just training higher and harder than anyone else in the world. And because his body isn't breaking down, he's getting to the start line and actually putting those performances into an actual marathon. And you can wonder why isn't his body breaking down if this is what he's actually doing. Is it the shoes allowing him to train harder? Is it drugs allowing him to recover better? But I found this comment from his coach very interesting. This is how we ended the article. Again, credit to Robin Gremmel here for providing the quote. He's in his best years, but at one point, I'm afraid he'll get injured. At this rate, he risks breaking. I suggested he lower the pace, but he doesn't want to. He talks to me about the world record people all the time. I told him that in five years, he would be done, that he must calm down to lost in athletics. And I love that quote because then it, you, you like the, the nice thing about this quote is it sounds like a coach who thinks even this is too much and it would explain some of it. And, you know, again, when I, I was telling John Kellogg about how you'd heard he'd run 180 miles a week, three weeks in a row, one thing, you know, John's sense of humor and cynicism came back and he said, at least they're making the right excuses nowadays. So meaning what he meant by that was back in the day, in the 80s and the 90s, we always heard how it was low mileage and the new workouts you were doing. And John just knew like John's and, and plyos and drills. And John's like plyos and drills are code works for drugs. So he's like, at least this excuse makes sense because John's a big proponent of high mileage. And I've asked John repeatedly over the last 10 years, ever since, you know, alter Gs became anti-gravity treadmills became common. Like cyclists train for six hours a day. Why don't runners do more? If we have an alter G, which they got at Cornell after I left, like shouldn't you run? more, put less weight on there. Super shoes, similar type of thing. But one other thing about how this could be possible, Gap ran 203 when he was washed up. He was 35. I don't want to say he's washed up, but he's washed up on the, on the track. That was not Pete Gab running 203, 59. He was 35 years of age. Bekele, my God, do we think we saw Pete, Pete Bekele when he ran 201-41? No. That was 10, 15 years past Pete Bekele. This guy is a lot younger and also, I don't think Gab was necessarily a marathoner. He was a 331, 1500-meter runner guy. He may have been 10K half, you know, like a lower, maybe this guy's peak event is the marathon, and he's in his peak age, and he's crushing it. And Weldon said something about Paula Radcliffe. When we spent time with her in Ireland at Jared Hartman, he's a physical therapist. This is well before she'd set the world record. I just saw how hard this woman trained. Like, there was one path to run on outside the the, the the treatment on the river. And we, we saw Paula and her husband. We said, oh, how far did you go? She said, oh, we went to the bridge and back in 40 minutes. Like, really? We thought you trained fast on your easy days. And her husband's like, no, guys, not the bridge you go to. There's another bridge past it. Trust me, you can't run that fast on your easy days. Like, it was mad. It was clear how fast she was running. Like, wow. But then I would see her sleeping in the middle of the room away from her husband because she didn't want to be on the street. She slept like in the living room where they moved a bed in there. So even though she was injured and not training for anything coming up, she wanted maximum sleep. And then she hired Jared Hartman full time. And I did think, wow, her doping could be Jared Hartman. This woman is training harder than other people, but how does she recover? She's recovering by having no, who else has a full-time physio working on her. And you know, some of these other Kenyans would fly in there once a year. Uh, she got them full time. So that would be an explanation for that. Yes, doping would also be an explanation. I get it. I'm, I'm not saying this. I'm not ruling that out as a possibility. But for him, this guy's, shoe, this guy's doping could be the shoes. 
Yeah, sort of. That's what I was getting at. Kipchoge's. Many people speculate he's over 40 years old. Put him in his physical prime and super shoes. He's running a lot faster than 20109, right? And even if you look at that 20109 race, I don't think it was perfect weather. And what did he run the first half in? 59-51. I think if you reverse the splits, I think Kiptum is running the races nearly ideal. You want the second half to be faster. Everything we've always said is second half should be faster. That's what everybody says. He's doing that. So rewind the clock 10 years, give Kipchoge peak shoes. I, mean, I, I would want some marathon experience for him. Do I, can I see Kipchoge running a minute faster than he has? Yes. That's a great point. Yeah, I, I could buy that. I, I understand that logic and it makes sense to me. And you could just say, well, he keeps PRing, but the shoes have also continued to get better. So the way I think about this, especially when we look at what's happening on the women's side, what happened in the women's marathon last year with a bunch of women running 214 or 215, what we've seen so far this fall with TX Decefa running 211 and Safan Hassan running 213 is we are in a transitional period in the marathon. And we're trying to figure out exactly what's happening in real time and provide all this explanation, but we don't have the full context because we don't have the times that are going to come in the next couple of years. I mean, maybe next year another guy runs two hours 50 seconds or 201. I'm sure I'm fairly confident within the next year or two, there's going to be someone other than Kipchoge or Kelvin Kipton running 201. If a washed up Kipchoge, sorry, washed up Bekele or, you know, past his prime Bekele can do it. I do think we'll see it. I mean, it could be Joshua Cheptegei in Valencia. You know, he, that's a fast course. He's the kind of talent who could do it. Robert's always talking about Jacob Kiplimo. He could run 201. Wouldn't shot me if he maybe runs too flat in a few years something like that. Like, I think we need to wait until five years from now, once things have started to sort of even out and everyone's adjusted to whatever new shoe technology we have. And then we can kind of say, okay, was this the crazy outlier it looks like right now? Or was he just the best guy and he was a bit faster than some of these other guys who were also running times that before the, a few years ago would have looked insane. I think he's an all-time talent at a young age, trains like a monster. I mean, I, I always think there's like a peak that basically the human being can be. Like, if, if the world exists, I've always thought about this. If if we're in the in the year two million five hundred thousand, like, would track be kind of boring? Because like, how could you keep setting world records? Or are they going to be running like six point three in the one hundred meters? But you know, I mean, Gavin Turgot ran two hundred four flat, and, and that was actually Kipchoge's PR before the Super Shoes came out. And I just wish I had predicted this. Because John, like we should never say anyone's way better than every no no one human is way better than every other human possible and thing. He did so well, but he was just saying he wasn't in tip top shape. That's why I didn't predict the world record. But I'm enjoying this, but not everyone's enjoying. It. Some people are very cynical about it. I was I had a nice conversation with a top coach today, collegiate coach. I said, "What do you think about this?" And they're like, "Man." They were kind of like us, like blown away, but this person's kind of cynical, like John Kellogg. And he said, I remember being at the soccer world championships. What year was that? 2007. Claimed it was super hot, mid 80s, high humidity, the 10,000. Claimed the last 5,000 was run under 13 flat. 
And he said he was standing next to David Monty of Race Results Weekly. David's like, what? That was incredible. Unbelievable race. Wasn't that amazing? Just so cool to be here to watch that. And this guy was like, you might as well believe in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and all of that stuff. If you think that was legitimate. So they say this on the one hand, but then on the other hand, they were pointing out that Steve Jones ran 207 back in the day with shitty equipment. So couldn't he run like 204 nowadays? So when we think a top African guy could run three or four minutes faster than that. So they, this person was like us playing it both ways. I will say some of the numbers from Kiptum's record just were insane. Obviously, two hours, 35 seconds. I don't even know how to say that time properly. Like, do you call it two? Normally, you say 201 something, you know, 20109. Is it 20035? Do I say two flat 35? Do I say two hours, 35 seconds? I was asking about the time in the press conference. I couldn't even get the question out properly because I didn't know how to call this thing. Two oh oh, thirty five just sounds weird, right? Yes, oh same thing. I think I said he ran two hours thirty five seconds. My wife's like, "What?" Well, it'll be if well, we won't have to wait that long. I mean, we'll it'll be one fifty nine soon, and then we can go back to you know how we always did. But we, we're not that far away, Weldon. I mean, if we. He didn't run even splits. You say negative split, you think it would be the best way to do it. He ran 60-48 and then 59-47. It was, now, it was very good conditions, but he didn't have a pacemaker at all for the second half. And granted, you know, you are going to struggle to find anyone who can really pace that deep into a marathon. But, I mean, this to me says we're not that far away from a, a 159 in an official course. A hundred percent. Now, maybe I'm going to go too far in that direction, but I think that 159 is here. We need to sell those shirts quickly, get rid of those. But who knows? Maybe this one will last 20 years because the weather was nearly ideal. I think we underestimate the weather. How often do we get perfect weather like this in Chicago? But, and the other thing, I mentioned my wife, my father-in-law just sent me a text out of the blue. What's this stuff I'm reading about the new marathon record in Chicago and technological doping from Nike? And I pressed him a bit more and sent him a link showing him that, oh, last week they were saying it was Adidas <laughs> after the women's world record. And he sent me back a link from, somehow he's in reading an article from 2019 that he sent me, but, but his one response is about the shoes. They look like trampolines for the feet. I think we've forgotten like, how crazy these shoes are. Like people haven't seen them are like, wow, these are nuts. The game has changed. The shoes have changed the game tremendously. And I think we're, we're, I think this guy, now this guy, having said that this guy is still doing stuff. No one else has done possible. Hassan. Yes. The range is crazy, John, but like the women's world record, we're now seeing other people like run half, you know, at least half the race similar and fade or the back half pretty fast what he's doing. And it's every time out him, no one else is, is doing, but it sounds like his training is, is out of the world. So, but I think we're going to see it. I wouldn't be shocked if we saw a sub two. And I used to, I used to say, there's no way we're not even close. 
35 seconds is still a lot, but maybe he's a super responder to the shoes. I don't know. It's, my worldview has been shocked so much. I kept putting off we're, we're a long way from too flat, but now I'm not saying it anymore. Well, I'm the one that famously wrote we'd never see one in our in my, my lifetime. I bet my entire retirement savings. But that was before the super shoes. And I still think that we won't be under two flat equivalent with no super shoes before I die, but we'll, we'll have a sub two soon. So I was getting tired of the sub two talk when the world record was like 203. I'm like, this is we're so far away. Now we're going to just hear it nonstop until someone actually breaks it. But all right, let, let's talk big picture. Biggest winners and biggest losers from Chicago this weekend. The biggest loser may have been Adidas because we were thinking last week, oh my God, they've got the super shoes. Nobody can touch it. But uh, 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 in contrast that one of the biggest winners is Tidget Safa. It wasn't just the shoes that made her run to 11. It was that woman's damn good. So congrats to her. Yeah, Ruth Chapangedich, let's remember the defending champion who was the third fastest woman in history coming into this race. She went for it. She said, I'm going to go out. And at halfway, she actually led Hassan. She was on world record pace, 65-42 through the first half. Hassan was six seconds back. She threw everything she had at this. She had a pacemaker with her and could not hang on. She still ran 215-37. It's not like Ruth Chepengedich had a bad day, but she's one of the best in the world. She tried to run the world record. She couldn't. Hassan was on world record pace at halfway too. She ended up, she was clearly hurting at the end and slowing down. She still ran super, super fast, but... These are two of the best talents in women's running who went off to that world record and were not that close to breaking it. So, yeah, Tigas DeSefa definitely stuck up after Chicago. Robert, what about the American men? Because I think in some ways you can say this was a great job by Connor Mance and Clayton Young to get the standard, and we're going to have at least two Americans in the Olympic marathon next year. We'll probably get all three, but there's still a lot of things to be sorted out there. But And Sam Chalanga had a breakthrough after basically bombing his first four marathons. He runs 208.50 for ninth place. Big PB for him. But at 35K, both Chalanga and Galen Rupp were on pace to get the Olympic standard. And both of those men ended up fading pretty badly. Rupp ends up ninth in, sorry, eighth in 208.48. He seemed very confident ahead of the race he was going to get the standard, and he did not get it. So are you saying this is a great day for Americans, a good day for Americans, less than that? How do you feel about the U.S. men? I'm really happy two guys got the standard. I'm a little upset we didn't get three, so we just don't have to go through this nonsense of the world rankings and blah, blah, blah. I mean, when, when I um, called you right after the men's world record happened, I said, how are the Americans doing? You could like, oh, we're going to get – three or four under the standard and then they faded. So, so good job. BYU alums, Connor Mann's 204, 207, 47, Clayton Young, 208 flat. I, I Look, the fact that Rupp was talking so big and feeling so good at this race is huge for me. I don't really care that he faded to 208, 48. His whole thing is to make the Olympics in 2024 and make the Olympics in 2028 at this point. The idea that he's going to medal in the Olympics to me seems absurd. The fact that he was like a mile and a half, almost two miles, actually probably more than a mile and a half behind kept him. Somehow Rupp medaled in the Olympics is amazing to me. In the marathon. Well, he was healthy and it was he was younger. It, it's not crazy to me. He was and I guess Olympic he was mechanical doping, right? 
he was a silver medalist in the 10,000 in 2012. And I guess, yes, he did have early access to the super shoes in the 2016 Olympic marathon, a prototype. The, I think this was definitely a good step for Galen Rupp. Obviously, he would have liked to get the standard. Uh, I tried to ask him about his race afterwards, and he declined an interview request, though he did speak to Runners World over the phone afterwards. But the one thing he did say was um, it was a step in the right direction. And his agent, Ricky Sims, said, you know, he, he's healthy. That's kind of the important thing is he was healthy for this buildup, and he sounds like he's healthy coming out of the race. He wasn't running with, you know, injuries or pain like he was trying to do over the last couple of years. So to me, if Galen Rupp can stay healthy between now and Orlando, I'm putting him on that team. I just think he he gets it done in the big stages. I know he lost to Clayton Young and Connor Mance in Chicago, but those guys are also really good. You know, those guys could go one two at the trials. Uh Scott Forbel, I think, will be heard from. I think he's very close to their level as well. But you know, it's not like this is some losing to Clayton Young and Connor Mance means you're not going to be on the team in four months. And I, I think I owe Clayton Young an apology because a few months ago, I don't remember who it was, but he there was some race. It wasn't the 20K with him and Connor. It was some other race. I'm like, okay, yeah, but the guy lost to Clayton Young. Like Clayton Young's not a big time star. And it's like, well, actually now Clayton Young is really good. He was an NCAA champion in college. He won the US 20K. He ran 208 flat here in Chicago. Like he he's one of the best in the US now. And Connor Mance, 207.47. He's tied for number four all time on the US list with Dathan Ritzenhain. Taken collectively, there had only been one other race in the history of US marathoning that two Americans broke 209. Can you guys name what race that was? I was going to bring it up. It's an amazing stat in your article The Duel in the Sun, Boston Marathon, what, 83? 82. The, the wild thing about that is it was like. 89 degrees. Like it was miserable, miserable conditions. And yet we had in the 19, early 1980s, no super shoes, two Americans breaking 209. It took 41 years for us to see it again. And this time four guys do it. Mance, Young, Rupp, and Chalanga. Brian Schrader also shout out to him. He goes on the 210 for the first time, 209, 46, and 11th. You know, obviously the shoes are a different ball game, but this was an opportunity for Americans to run fast and we didn't see three with the standard, but we saw two after having two years of no one get the standard. So it was a good day for the U.S. It was a good day for Connor Mance and Clayton Young. So-so day for Rupp, but he's making progress. You know, that, that's those are my main U.S. takeaways from this race. I guess one the one guy who didn't really run well, Leonard Correa. We were thinking, you know, he was fourth at the last trials. He's run 207 before. Could he be the third guy to get the standard? No, I think he ended up dropping out. I've got to make a real correction. I can't let you lie about how hot it was when the duel in the sun was held. John just said 80 or 90 degrees. The start time in that year was 68 degrees, John. So it's been exaggerated how hot it was. Have I been, wait, have I been misled? I've been told this is like the most grueling conditions for any marathon. I mean, it was a high noon start back in those days, right? So it was probably very sunny and running in sunny. It had to have been in the 70s at some point. 70s and sunny is still pretty tough, but. Salazar like almost died at the end of this thing, right? Like I assumed it would have been 80 or 90. I guess I was wrong. But it's interesting. I mean, 
for the record, Chilango, Rupp, and Mance all went out in 63-21. Young was like 63-42. So I, I just wish that we didn't have to worry about this. I spent a lot of time, like several hours. Oh, wait. I spent several hours yesterday trying to figure out, make sure that America was going to get three men in the top 65 in the Road to Paris rankings, which don't exist, and are coming up with schemes to get us up there. But you just said, no, you say the update on Tuesday. Have they updated yet? I don't know. I don't usually wake up and check the marathon world rankings on Tuesday mornings. They haven't updated it. The most recent one is October 3rd, 2023. So the October 10th one is still coming. But it's really good that Young got it because when I was looking at the rankings, I didn't realize Chicago from last year is not going to be counting. So all, all these people are going to be losing that race. And it's going to, our best bet right now, we've got two. Our best bet is still Scott Fobble, where he's looking like he's going to be like number 59 on the, on the list when he gets New York or replacing last year or something. I don't know. So then hopefully there's just not six guys ahead of him. Now, Rupp and Chalanga picked up a, 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 a number of points, bonus points, et cetera. And like, if they just would go run like a decent half marathon, particularly if it was at the U.S. Half Marathon Championships. Problem was, that was in February last year in Cowtown. Like, they, they could get, you know, in on points, basically, but they'd be pretty close to Fobble. USATF should just make sure they actually should get these one of these guys to, well, we should see where Fobble shows up on the list. But if not, you just hold the USA Half Marathon Championships in January somewhere, just make up a race, blow $100,000 on it. And- I guess... First week of January, like the Olympic trials are on February 3rd. How many men are going to want to show up and do it? No one's going to want to do it. Have Rupp run like 61-45 and win it when he would easily be in because he'd be a few points higher than Fobble. I think when you also take out other people around the world who will be like Fobble, he's going to move down in the point score, but you're also going to have people who are ahead of him in the rankings who have a performance from before the qualifying window opened, which was November 1st, 2022. So they're going to be moving out as well. I think the U.S. will probably... I mean, the problem is we don't have this Road to Paris list, which would be very helpful for World Athletics to have published, given how confusing this whole system is. They said it was would be online by the fall of 2023. It's now the fall of 2023, so hopefully it's up on the, web- on the website soon and we can actually use that to follow who's in and who's out. And they really should just in the future, if a country has three going, they should say anyone who's top three at a trials race can go. Don't make them have 1130. Don't make them do anything. We're not sending like the dictator's cousin to, to the Olympics to, to get away from this. But all right, let's talk about the U.S. women. So my initial takeaway, thank God we sent you. To Chicago, John, also Mike Knapp helped us out. By the way, how did Mike run? Let's run correspondent. He's running in the race. 5.42.04. I don't know what well, kind uh, of time he was shooting for. So, Well, then can you delete that, please? We've just lost all credibility with our audience. I was about to say former correspondent. Wow. Mike, thanks for all the work you've done in Chicago for us over the years. Well, I'll say this. He went out... Well, he went out in 2.31. Wait a minute. That's It's saying seven minutes a mile. 2.31 at halfway is not seven minutes a mile. That doesn't make any sense to me. But they're listing his time as 5.42.04. Oh, 
He is over 50 years of age. God, that means it's going to be hard for me to break three hours. You thought it was going to be easy? I kept telling you it's going to be hard. Is the bet off, John, if I do? I mean, I'm serious. Can I take performance enhancer? Maybe I should do performance enhancing drugs, see if they really help or not. Write a story about it. I don't know if we actually made an official bet, did we? I don't know. We probably did. I mean, I I, I just assume, I feel like I should be paid out at this point because it's not happening. But all right, actually, one last thing on the U.S. men before we go to the women. I love that Rupp and Shalanga were battling this thing out. They finished two seconds apart at the end. Now, I wish we had a camera so we could have actually seen more of this, but I'm sure you guys recall one of the all-time great NCAA cross-country races, 2008, Rupp and Chalanga. Rupp, a fifth-year senior, was battling for his first NCAA title. He'd never won one on the track or in cross against Sam Chalanga, this Kenyan phenom from Liberty. Just trading blows back and forth, battling it out down the home straight. 15 years later, again in the Midwest, they're right next to each other, running marathons now towards the end of their career. Well, maybe not for Rupp. He claims he's going to go through another Olympics. I just thought it was cool to see those two guys who were linked by that cool race still fighting it out out there. I wish I could have seen more of it on the broadcast. By the way, if you hated the broadcast, at the end of the show, I'm going to put a clip of the what the broadcasters were talking about between 800 meters to go and less than 400 meters to go. Robert finds these obscure things to complain about. The, the, the broadcast, they're breaking the world record. There wasn't even a clock on the screen when they were finishing. Like the world marathon majors, they call themselves majors. There's like no TV distribution anyway. Like this is on NBC Chicago. Good for them. I don't know. Put it on YouTube as well today. If you're trying to reach eyeballs actually, or put it on Peacock, like, and distribute this in Europe. Like actually the U S marathons are, it's a really good time in Europe. For non-football fans in Europe, we're going to watch it 1 p.m. on a Sunday. You might actually watch a Chicago marathon. Right. The way these things are distributed is ridiculous. Like, for Americans, the only legal way to watch it in this country, or not legal, but the like official channels you're supposed to go through, FlowTrack had the U.S. rights, and they did not have commentary on their broadcast for the at least the first 45 minutes. I don't know if they eventually got commentary on that feed or not. For, Bo- Chicago? for, for Berlin. Sorry, for Berlin Marathon I was talking about. And then Chicago, the only available feed is this NBC5 feed, which, look, it's a news station. I don't expect it to be top-tier quality because they're not used to producing professional sporting events. And they try to bring on Carrie Tollefson and Ed Eystone to talk about the race, but they also, they just don't care as much about the elite racing. They're cutting to Matt and Courtney at the halfway mark when Kelvin Kiptum is rewriting the running history books. They're doing trivia and taking talking about taking shots and that sort of thing. It's just trivializing this event. And then they, you know, as we usually say, they give a little bit too much attention to the wheelchair feeds. Like, instead of using cameras, essentially they had four cameras, I think, on the course, something like that. And two of them are used to follow the wheelchair races instead of using them to follow the Americans. And then when the wheelchair athletes finish, they go back and have them follow the Americans. Either it doesn't make sense to me why you would sign Galen Rupp and Connor Mance and Emma Bates and Emily Sisley and Molly Seidel, all these big names in American marathoning. You're paying them handsome appearance fees to come run your race. 
And then they're invisible on the broadcast. We only see them at the very, very end of the race when they're crossing the finish line or coming close. Have some cameras on them. You've got to be showing this to your audience. John, they don't care about the broadcast. It's more about just the overall race. I had these Americans, Runners World writes a recap. It's still a big deal. It's clear they don't actually care about the broadcast. Well, it is clear, but to me, they should because if we're marking this as the World Marathon Majors, the biggest and best marathons in the world, treat it as such. Hire hire professional broadcasters, have them present the race like an elite race and make this feed available. We had it for Berlin. It existed. Exactly what we had for Berlin. Tim Hutchings and Chris Dennis, they're elite focused. NBC5 can still do their broadcast, but I think there should be an option for the people who actually care about this as a sport. And maybe this number isn't significant enough for it to make a difference. That's why they don't do it. But if you're going to say this is a world marathon majors and market the elite end of the sport, do it in a way that we can actually tell the story. Just go back last year. I said the same thing. I, I vowed to, to volunteer my services to Kerry Pinkowski, but I, I, of course, didn't do it. All right. Hassan wins 213. Four women break 218. Actually, PRs for Margitu Alamu in third and Jocelyn Jepkowska in fourth. I mean, Jocelyn Jepkowska is a two-time major champion. She's won London. She's won New York. She ran a personal best in this race and still got beat by four minutes. Not quite four, but almost. Anyways, when I came back in the room, the women's race was over, but the Americans had not finished. And I looked down, John, and I was like, oh, my God. I saw Emily Sisson. I'm like, she looks terrible. And then I saw the halfway split, which is the 69-31. I'm like, how is she only running 222? And I'm like, where's Emma Bates? I thought she dropped out, but she ended up 13th and 225. And so that was my initial takeaway. But we found out that Emily Sisson was battling a stitch the whole time or at the, at the end lost of the race. Miles, and, Emma ba- miles. Yeah. and Emma Bates had a good excuse. She had a planner problem and it just popped up in the middle of the race. I mean, so uh, I, I expected a lot more from both of them. So I, I was like at first devastated by them. But once I heard those excuses, I was like, okay, they're not going to be feeling too bad, but you've got to be healthy. You've got to be on your game to make the team. I mean, Sisson's 222.09, if she ran that same performance at the trials, it's conceivable that could get on onto, onto the team, I think. I think so. I, I'm pretty encouraged by that, actually. If she is really hurting and she's still able to tough it out and run that time, I, I think that's the kind of thing that you need to do in an Olympic trials race, is even if you're not at your best, you tough it out and get to the finish and make the team. That was pretty encouraging for me that she could do that, even when she wasn't at her best. But, you know, we're talking about biggest winners and biggest losers. I think the biggest winner might have been Molly Saladale. Eighth place. This is the Olympic bronze medalist. She runs a PB. This is her PB, 223.07. And, you know, I, I was saying, like, if she can just run the same pace. I was thinking best case scenario on Friday's podcast, right? She runs the same pace that she ran the 20K at. Is that what it was? Yeah. Robert, we said going in. If she runs like 225, that's great. We're, she's exactly where we want. You know, That gives her a real shot at the trials. If 226, that's a pretty good race because her pace from the 20K, I think, equates to 225 for a full marathon. She ran 223 low. So I think she's ahead of where we thought she would need to be. As long as she stays healthy for the trials, given how well she's running the heat in those non-championship races, I think... She's a very, very strong contender. I don't think anyone's a lock at this point on the women's team, but we've seen some shaking up in the last 
few months with Alephine Tulumuk withdrawing, Molly Seidel re-entering the conversation. Sarah Hall can't seem to stay healthy. She ran the 10K for women in Boston over the weekend. She ran terrible, said that she's overcooked. That's not a good place to be four months out from the trials. Betsy Siner is now making a name for herself. And of course, you've got Sisson. So it's all very, very interesting going into the trials. But given Tuliamak withdrawing due to injury, I think my team right now, if I had to pick it, might be Sisson, Seidel, and Siner because I just want people who are healthy. And I'm not sure what Tully Muck's going to be like. I don't know what Sarah Hall's going to be like. Kira D'Amato is still lurking. She's going to be around. But it's going to be a fascinating Olympic trials. And Bates as well. Bates, if her injury, if her planter thing isn't serious, she should be in the mix in the trials as well. But can we give a shout out, please, to Sarah Vaughn? We didn't mention her name in our recap. I mean, she was only 10th, but... She's not showing up in the results. The press results I have, Robert, she's literally not in them. So that's my excuse for why I didn't write about her. She was not listed in these results. But we have a and a up with her on the homepage today that her agency, Kimbia, gave us. 37-year-old, mother of four, finishes 10th place, 223-24, and she's got a full-time job. Like... As someone that can, that struggles to do let's run, which is a flexible job. And I know being a realtor is flexible, but sometimes as a realtor, you have to spend time on your feet unless you hire people. She said she did like 20 open houses last week. Like I struggle to do let's run and, and pick my one child up at 3 p.m. And I run like probably compared to what Sarah Vaughn runs. Hmm. Compared to any Robert, you don't need to compare what you're running to what you don't run. Do you run at all? I ran three miles like three weeks ago and got injured. My legs hurt. I probably run like 120. But it's, it's just amazing to me. So congratulations to her. I mean, like 223, 24. Actually, it was a great race for Alistair Craig and Amy Craig. I don't think these are Puma athletes, but Alistair Craig coaches Sarah Vaughn and Rose Harvey remotely. They're both She's Puma the, the athletes. British woman. And they went both ran 223 and went 910. Yeah, they're both Puma. Oh, they are? They're both Puma remote. Robert, what about this? 11th place, Gabriella Rooker of the United States, 224.35. Please tell me everything you know about Gabriella Rooker. I'll jump in here. John, this is easy. She was a Division Three national champion gymnast. Actually, I was just Googling her during this thing. And I was like, we got to praise this woman because I knew I figured somebody would praise Sarah Vaughn. And Sarah Vaughn divert, deserves praise. But Gabriella Rooker, is she 36, John? I believe so. Well, there's an article. She doesn't have an age list on Attila Stapaya, uh profile. So most of what I know is there was an article on Fast Women last year about her. And she was 34 last year. They were They were saying back then, this article is... She ran a 20-minute PB of 234 at the Grandma's Marathon to qualify for the trials. And that was you know, this huge deal because, like you said, she was a national champion in gymnastics, Division Three at University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. She didn't get into running until a couple of years ago and then goes from 254, her time on Tilda Supplies list is 256, down to 234. And then she goes down to 229 at... CIM in December 
And then she ran grandma's again this year, runs 227. And now in Chicago, 224.35. So this is kind of Kira D'Amato part two, except the first Kira D'Amato was a really good runner. Gabby Rooker was not a runner at all. She was gymnastics. And she also works, I believe she is a physician. Yeah, physician's assistant in internal medicine. This is one of the wildest stories of the race to to be now running to 224. It's pretty nuts. Yeah, move over, Sarah Vaughn. This is way more impressive, John. She ran 234 last year and now is running 224. I mean, if you're going to pick a dark horse to make the team, I'm picking her over Sarah Vaughn. Sorry. Right? Her ceiling, well, her ceiling's higher. Like, Sarah Vaughn was a lifelong runner. This woman is only like, Kira D'Amato went from taking this massive break to running 219. And that was at age 38, I believe. And Gabby Rooker is currently, like you said, 35 or 36. So, yeah, th- this improvement curve, I probably would pick her. I'm not I'm not going to pick her on the team, but if you're looking for a dark horse, like, we have no idea what their ceiling is, I think Gabby Rooker is the one. Because until Chicago, I would have said, oh, making this team is going to be tough. But this was not a good day for the, the American women. And if Bates is injured, Sisson's injured, Tulemic's injured, those are my three. With D'Amato, D'Amato's, you know, getting older. Didn't run great at Worlds. Well, wait, wait a second. Kira D'Amato is getting older. Everyone's getting older. She just ran an American record in the half marathon in July. Didn't run great at Worlds. I'm just saying, before I would have said, like, okay, I'm, I, you got five names here. Three of these are on the team. And now a couple people are injured. That third spot for sure might be there. And then you kind of look in that 223 range. Well, 224 and someone who just ran had never run... 250 until two years ago. I mean, you're just like, whoa, the ceiling is very high for that type of person. It is, but the improvement gets a lot harder. This reminds me of my own modest career. How long has this woman been running, John? So Allison Wade's story, which was last year, said she started running consistently four or five years ago. So let's say 2017 at the earliest. Well, I had been running less than that. I mean, at a high level. Got out of college in 96. Didn't start running, I don't think, until 97. Like two years later. I don't know. When I was training for my first marathon, my college roommate, it was a sub-four mile, asked me if I was going to break three. I didn't want to tell him my goal. I ended up breaking 230. I ran 229. And I was probably like this, like Walden's talking about this woman. I was like, oh my God, I'm improving so much. Like... I can almost run a marathon. I could run a marathon of basically my, what my 5K PB was when I graduated college. And then, because I didn't really have a 5K PB. And I remember asking John Kellogg something about breaking 220. Like, do you think I can do that in the next race? Because wasn't that the standard or was it 222 back then? I can't remember. And he's like, you may never do that. I was like, what? I was like insulted. But, but once your training gets up at a certain level, like it's hard to improve a lot. All right, so we ought to tell Gabby, you don't want to be the Robert Johnson of the marathon. You want to be the Kira D'Amato of the marathon. Look at Kipton. This guy's you know, only been racing for a couple of years, and he's barely improved. He, he, he went 201 in his first race, and now he's already leveled out at 2535. Oh, you assume he levels out. No, that, that is, it is interesting. And, well, like you said, I don't think there's anything certain in the trials. I went into the, 26, 20, the, the 2020 Olympic trials on the women's side. I was like, 
there are five women and one, you know, three of these five are making the team. And none of those five ended up making the team. And I, I, I follow this thing as a professional sport. I'm interviewing all the coaches. I'm going to all these races. I've learned my lesson. I don't. They, there could be some total wild card. There could be some crazy things. Who knows what the weather's going to do? If Gabby Rooker, she's run grandmas two years in a row. I mean, it is pretty far north, so I don't know how hot it gets. But I, I don't. I have no idea what's going to happen at the trials, and I think that's what makes it great. John, even photographic memory. Name those five women, please, so they, they can hear the pain they were expected to make the team in your eyes and didn't do it. Oh, do you have the article up? No, I'd like you to see if you can remember it. Oh, okay. Well, pretty sure Des Linden was one of them because she was the closest. She got fourth. So I was feeling like, oh, at least I could have gone one for five. Des Linden, Emily Sisson, Jordan Hesse. Uh, I think the other two were Molly Huddle and who would have been the fifth person in that group? I want to say Kellen Taylor, but Weldon thinks I always write off Kellen Kel Taylor. I don't know. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on number five. Oh, Sarah Hall. Okay. Yeah, Sarah Hall hadn't run quite her crazy things. But yeah, it was Jordan Hesay, Sisson, Des Linden, Sarah Hall, and Molly Huddle. So... Those were my five, and none of them made the team. Speaking of Des London, congrats to her. She's the new U.S. Masters record holder. She ran 227.35 in Chicago. John, you talked about the this 10K. It used to be the Tufts Healthcare 10K. It used to be the Reebok 10K. Now it's just the Boston 10K for women that was in Boston. Annie Rodenfels picked up $9,000 for running 3208. But Emily Venter's second. Jenny Simpson, third and 32-39. She's beating Molly Huddle, Sarah Hall. Well, a couple things when I saw that. I thought it was interesting. One, Jenny Simpson's the same age as Sarah Vaughn. So they both ran at CU. But I'd completely forgotten about Jenny Simpson of late, right? I was like, whoa, like, I haven't seen her do anything. I'd almost like to see her just enter the Olympic marathon trials. It makes you way more relevant. She's running the trials. You don't know this? Yeah, she went to no. high school in Florida. Like, this is a big thing. This is going to be one of the storylines, Weldon, is local girl makes good. J- Jenny Simpson runs the trials of modern day Quentin Cassidy. Okay, thank you, Jenny. Do that. Go train with the Puma people. Go up to, well, I guess she already lives in the mountains. So, but. Okay, this is good. But I don't expect her to do. That time isn't that great. I guess it's better she beat them. But then also I thought, wow, Sarah Hall's in trouble. Uh, I'm We're four months away from the Olympic trial. Sarah Hall ran horribly. So. Yeah, I don't know what it is, whether it's just she is finally feeling the effects of getting older or if she's just in a rough patch or if there's an injury or she's overtrained. But, you know, Sarah Hall from a year or two ago, I would have. She set the American record in the half marathon in January 2022. You know, she certainly has been in contention for most of this cycle, but it's about whether you're ready to go on February 3rd. And right now she has some serious work to do. All right. Before we try to figure out if there's anything besides Chicago, we want to talk about, I'm going to ask you guys a question. I think the three of us all agree right now. If there was a head to head race between Kiptum and Kipchoge, we'd pick Kiptum to win it. So obviously we do want to see that. 
I want to see it at least once in 2024. My question to you is, do we, will we see it zero times, one time, or two? If we saw it twice, it would most likely be London, where Kipton is the course record holder and defending champion, and where Kipchoge loves to go. And then the Olympics, if we see it one time, it would probably just be the Olympics. I said that I think Kipton's world record here makes it more likely that Kipchoge goes to Boston. Do you agree with that sentiment? And my theory was he doesn't want to go get spanked by Kipton in London. He can he can fill the one hole in his CV by trying to win a hilly course. Like Boston or New York is like his French Open. He's never won. You know, Pete Sampras never won on clay. Kipchoge's never won on a hilly course. But then I started to doubt myself, John. I'm like, well, maybe he he's probably doesn't have a defeatist mindset like I do. He probably thinks I'm the greatest of all time. I'm going to go spank this guy in London and get my world record back. So more, how, how many times will they race? And is he more or less likely to run Boston because of this result this weekend? I think they'll race once at the Olympics. I agree with your thinking. He's probably more likely to run Boston. But I think a couple, a couple things. One, maybe his management might think that. He's you know he's more likely to get beaten by Kiptum now, but I don't, I don't know if Kipchoge thinks that way. But then the other thing is Kipchoge's pro- his spring marathon that's not the priority next year. The priority is the Olympics. It's making sure he's absolutely ready to go. And if he the course in Paris is going to be pretty hilly. If he decides Boston is going to prepare me more, this kind of training might be better for it. He'll do you know he'll do Boston. But if he thinks no. I've had success running London before the Olympics in the past. That's what he did in 2016. I also feel like it's going to be better for my confidence to run that ra- that kind style of race. And you know, maybe it's not good for his confidence if he's going up against Kiptum. But if London or another flat marathon, maybe Rotterdam, makes him feel more comfortable, that's what he's going to do. He's all about the Olympics. But what I will say, I think they'll run against each other at the Olympics next year. And the Olympic marathon... This could be one of the most hyped Olympic marathons ever on the men's side because we're going to have like a likely Kenyan team of Kelvin Kiptum, Elliot Kipchoge, and right now Evans Jebet, who is unstoppable on these championship-style courses. He's won two straight Bostons, and he won New York last year. That Put those three together. That's the strongest marathon team anyone's ever sent. And the hype could be out of control because Kipchoge's never raced Kiptum and Kiptum has never raced Chibet. So put them all together in the same race and have it at the Olympics, it would be amazing. And, you know, things could change. Chibet still has to run New York this fall. Everyone still has to run their spring marathon, but oh my God, I, I would go crazy for that race. It should be awesome. And Kiptum and Kipchoge have never done anything on a non-flat marathon. This Olympic marathon's got a big ass hill, a big uphill like for miles. So I don't, I don't think Kipchoge is going to do Boston. I think he got wrecked there. It's weird though. But then what does he do? I think he will try to duck Kipton before London, before the Olympics. So if you don't do London, what's your option? Tokyo, someone could try to do. Oh, Kipchoge, actually, Kipchoge could go back to Tokyo. That, yeah, he could do that because that gives him the most time to prep for Paris. And Kiptum's not going to be there. 
and it's the flat kind of course he runs. If I'm laying odds for where Kipchoge runs in 2024, I think Tokyo is my leader. So there it is, folks. We figured out how they could dodge each other. Do you think it was Tokyo before this weekend? I don't know. I think he likes running London, but Tokyo Tokyo is just earlier than all the other ones. You know, this is the Olympic marathons on August 10th, I believe, and London is April, you know, 21st. So he has made that turnaround before. But if you're saying you're getting a little older and you don't want to you want maximum time to prep, Tokyo would make a lot of sense. So yeah, I, I don't know. But that would be my guess of what he runs in 2024. I mean, right now, head-to-head flat matchup, I think Kipton smokes him. I, I just I don't have any doubt, I mean, which is crazy, right? Yeah, I mean, they both just ran very flat, fast courses. And conditions, we have world record conditions in Berlin. We saw it in the women's race. Teeth Decefa destroyed the world record. And Kipchoge ran more than two minutes slower than what Kipton ran. So, yes, I have no doubt. With more rabbit help, right? Uh, Kipchoge, you mean? Had more rabbiting? Yeah, I think so. Podcast listeners, I hope that you're coming to Let'sRun.com each and every day. Going to our world-famous forum. Hope you're also a supporters club member. Let'sRun.com slash subscribe. And going to our new shoe review site, BetterRunningShoes.com betterrunningshoes.com. But one of the more interesting threads on the message board this week was, most popular threads, was Cooper Tier to leave Bowerman. Says that Cooper Tier will shortly be announcing that he's leaving the Bowerman Track Club, going to train with Ben Thomas, his old Oregon coach, who has now moved on to Virginia Tech. This has not been confirmed. We'll link to the thread in the show notes, but John, do you think this will end up being true? I always say, I've always said that the message board, whenever something's put on there, it always ends up being true, but that's not the case today. I got received a call earlier today. Man had been linked romantically to star and CA runner Parker Volby. He is not dating her, and the thread has been deleted. Would it surprise me if he leaves Bauman and joins Ben Thomas? Not at all, because after USA's, where he did not even make the final in the 1500 after winning the thing the year before. He was pretty clear that he and Jerry were not quite on the same page when it came to what training he wanted to do. And with Cooper wanting to be a 1500 guy and Jerry seeing him more as a 5k guy. Now it would be one year. That's not a lot of time to spend in the Bowman system, but we've seen something like this before. Sinclair Johnson was with Bauman for one year. She decided it wasn't a fit for her. She left, and she immediately wins the U.S. title the next year under Pete Julian. So now he's got Ben Thomas. He's been he had great success with Ben Thomas. He was the U.S. champion in under Ben Thomas. And if they're trying to start a new training group out there, you know, if Cole Hawker's heading out there, and maybe he views it as a chance to get the band back together. Co- Ben might see him as more of a 1500 guy. It wouldn't shock me, but I also don't think it's a terrible move for Cooper Tier to just say, hey, you know, okay, I didn't make the final, but I ran some PRs this year under Jerry. He's still a good coach. Uh, I can have success under him. I think one year is too much to say, oh, clearly it's not a right fit. But at the same time, if you want to be a 1500 guy and Jerry sees you as a 5K guy, 
you only get one shot of this career. And if you, if that's the event you want to pursue, I don't, I can understand why you want to go with a guy who, a coach who's on the same page with him as that. I guess, well, the question is, what do you guys think he should do? It's a tough call in this situation. By the way, John, you, you didn't give full information about Sinclair Johnson. She did promptly proceed to win the U S title under Pete Julian and then regress under Pete Julian in year two. I mean, let's, there's no doubt that she regressed this year, right? She regressed, but she also lost a month of training right before USA's. I take that back. Sinclair Johnson PR at 800 meters this year, 159.76. And she ran almost as fast this year as last year. Well, she went from getting sixth in the world to not making the final. So, yes, she in her main event, she wasn't as good. But I don't think we're saying, oh, Sinclair Johnson's never going to be the, the same. And that's like, I think she'll be back running better in 2024. And I think that you could say the same thing about Kubatia. Like, he didn't make the final, but he could still make the U.S. team in the 1500 next year. But I, I look at these events. I don't know if he'll, I don't think he's ever going to be better than Yara Nagus when Nagus is healthy and his best. I think same thing with Cole Hawker, though grind Cole has had some injury issues and Cooper has beaten him before. I just think the fifth, the 5,000, but then you got Grant Fisher coming back in the 5,000 and up to Hamid Noor. It's a tough call. I think both are good training environments for him. Both are really good coaches. I don't think there's like a wrong answer, but yeah, the, I don't know. I, when I look at Cooper, I've always kind of thought of him as a 5K guy, but he won the US title in the 1500. It's not like he doesn't have wheels. I think I go to the 5K if I'm him. I'm just looking at the relative, the people he'd have to beat. He's got Hawker, Nagus, and Kessler, who are all his age or younger. In the 5K, you've got Fisher and you've got Noah, but Kincaid's getting a little older. Chalimo's getting older. Magordi's not old, but he's older than Cooper. I think I'd probably go to the five, focus on the 5K, but I don't know. Well, John, disrespect the John, Joe Klecker. Klecker's good too. He just He's never made a team at 5k it's a tough call for cooper because it does sometimes take time for jerry's system to kick in and i with sinclair johnson he wasn't trying to get her to run 358 he's trying to get her enough volume and reps that she can run like 355 but maybe you're not running ready for 355 maybe you're never gonna run 355 but he, just the fact that he didn't seem to have faith in jerry makes me think he is gonna leave and this is true now whether that's the right call or not God, that's even a tough question, too. I think that Ben's training might be better for the 1500. It's a safer type of thing. Like, he's going to, he can definitely at least get back to his college shape. But will the college shape be good enough to make the team? It wasn't three years ago. I don't think it will be this year. The more I think about it, I think I would, I would tell him to stay with Jerry. But no, man, I, I don't know. I don't think he's making the team either way, to be honest. If you don't trust your coach, so how can you tell him to do that? Yeah, in a vacuum, I think he should stay. But I think he's just got to go what's in his gut. And I think if he goes what's in his gut, he might leave, actually, the more I think about it. Right? He had more success with Ben Thomas. This year didn't go great. The only thing on Instagram, I mean, this, just, this could easily be just pure speculation by somebody, is the doctor says my vision is 20 slash 24. But that just reiterates, next year's a huge year for everyone, especially a guy like this. It's all about the Olympics. Especially if you've never made a team. 
Yeah, think so, about the Americans we're going to have in that prime next year. Yard Goose, Grant Fisher, two of probably the two best talents of their generation on the track. I mean, if you're counting Shalimo as a previous generation, this is their prime Olympics. This is the one where they're going to medal or they're not going to medal. You know, or if they're ever going to win a gold medal, this is going to be the one it happens by in because LA 2028, they're probably going to be older on the downswing. Huge year for those guys next year. Huge. All right, social media experts. I see another thread on the message board. Nike seems alarmingly reluctant to support Kiptum. Is that true? John, are you an, are you an Instagram expert? Are they promoting Kiptum less than Kipchoge? I said this thread kind of allows but then someone said he doesn't really have the same personality as Kipchoge. Is he a little bit duller personality, John? I'm not sure. I haven't spent any time. Either that or his English isn't as good. Uh, also, Kipchoge is just a huge name. Kipchoge has been around for a long time. Like He's going to get promoted a lot after winning Berlin because people know him more. You know, If you have a world record holder... You're going to promote that. I don't know. I haven't followed how much they have or haven't, but it makes sense to me if people are seeing Kipchoge more because he's more recognizable and is a bigger name. He's still a bigger name than Kiptum, you know? So when Kipchoge breaks the world record last year in Berlin, yes, it's probably going to get promoted more because we already have all this history with him. He's the guy who broke two hours. Kiptum, no one knew who he was a year ago. So it makes sense to me. I looked into the thread. It's BS. I agree with John. Well, what do you think, podcast listeners? Give us a call, 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. Did get a text right after the race ended. Someone said that, well, I shouldn't even say it, probably sued. They claim that EPO... Yeah, we probably shouldn't say it. If you're going to be sued. That, that's the one where Robert, you know, if you're considering self, if the rule I think, well then, is if Robert is considering self-censoring him, he probably needs to be censored. Is that a fair rule of thumb? Generally, I would say yes. But John, I was debating re- reading an email here. And we have post of the week, email of the week. I can't believe people would just take the time to write this. Kelvin Kiptum. This guy is an age cheat. So obvious that he is at least 35. He's a receding hairline and wrinkles on his face, and he's posing as a 23-year-old. So I read that, and I'm thinking, whatever. His next line is, whatever. Next, he is juiced to the max on EPO, HGH, etc. I don't see any reason to praise him like all of you PC people are doing. He's a disgrace to sport like, like most East African age cheats and drug cheats. My take to an email, something like that, is like, come on. Show a little humility. There's no way you know that. You can have suspensions, but I think to see the world that black and white when when, when there's doubt involved, it's just not just. Yeah, we don't know for sure. You you can't weigh in with certainty, especially in this situation. Does this person even know him personally or have any inside information at all? I'm guessing no. So I, actually, one other thing. I should have brought this up way earlier because I got an email from Louis LeBlanc. Could be Louis. Sorry, I'm not sure. It's just, that's how it was written. I don't know how it's pronounced. And he was saying, you know, he enjoys our coverage. You know, great job in Chicago. And he was like, look, I know people bring up the shoes and everything. There was one other thing he thinks that could be explaining the explosion of fast times. He was like, what about super fueling? And he noted four potential performance-boosting fueling 
methods, essentially. The Morton Sports drink that they came out with a couple years ago, exogenous ketone esters, sodium bicarbonate, which has become quite popular for middle distance runners this year, TBD, how much it helps in the marathon, and beetroot juice. And he was like, look, essentially his argument was uh, they are trying to optimize everything. These Some of these developments, I mean, the Morton bicarb is a new... It, bicarbonate has long been something that's viewed as performance enhancing, but it's come up with great gastrointestinal distress, people that know how to manage it. And we don't, I don't know how many of the top athletes are using all of these things. I don't know if Kiptum uses any of this stuff, but if there are runners out there who are taking these things and all together and they all kind of work, maybe that explains a little bit. I think shoes are by far the thing that's pushing them, the sport forward, but maybe this is another variable that's being optimized. What do you, what do you buy about, do you buy this argument? I've been barely paying attention to it. You've been trying to write some article on this bicarbonate thing for six months. You keep telling me it's the secret to the 1500. I'm like, John. I've never said that once. You were just totally mischaracterizing my point. I'm saying a ton of the top miles in the world have just started taking this same substance inspired by the heavy belief that Jakob Ingebrigtsen's using it. I'm not saying this is why they're all good at running. I'm saying it's an interesting trend in the sport and you just think, no one cares and that it's a stupid idea to pursue. I've never understood your obstinance to it. The whole point is to figure out whether it's helping or not and how much of an effect it has. And you just come up to you. That means this is the only thing that's explaining fast times in the miles and that I'm an, an idiot. Look, when I was running, I was always looking for something to supplement Jinsana, blah, 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 uh, you know, but I, I think it's the shoes. It, it's not some secret fueling that's helping this guy that no one else has because he's not even hitting the wall. Marathon only takes him two hours. It's not like it's a two and a half hour event. All right, guys, I'm going to pick up my son up at school. You guys can finish up without me. Well, John, he did a good job of avoiding discussing baseball. I mean, I don't know. I, you guys didn't really. I mean, the last time we talked to Texas Rangers, I think we're about to play their first playoff game, but well, I've seen this team win about six in a row and lose six in a row, so I shouldn't say anything. But it could be a tough, tough week for Ro- Rojo. And it's a great week for me, John. I don't know if you know, I may be up for a Nobel Prize in economics. I haven't even told Rojo this. But I, each year when the prize goes out, let me just tell you the story and you tell me if I, I should be considered. My senior essay in college was called Female Labor Force Participation in 1880. There was a economist named Claudia Golden who wrote the preeminent book. She traced it back to 1890. And the new census data came out and my advisor said, look, this is a great book. Maybe you should push the frontier. So I pushed the frontier when no one had pushed it. Who won the Nobel Prize in economics yesterday, John? Claudia Golden. Exactly. So, and generally that's how these things work, right? Like a Men take credit for women's work and like get all the accolades. So next year, I should probably set my alarm and get ready. I mean, this one best departmental essay. And I mean, makes sense to me. They award Nobel prizes for pushing the boundaries of social sciences. And if they're saying Claudia Golden did it, and if you push this social science boundaries even further, certainly a candidate for the 2024. 
and as a man in, in a woman's field, John, I mean, this is she. I, it was tough for me to break in here, but totally a joke. But then the other, well, what I would say is, if it took them this long to award her the Nobel Prize, you know, you might have to wait another twenty years or something, well, then until they can figure this stuff out. But uh, yeah, best of luck to your Rangers and Robert's Orioles. I don't want to pay, pick favorites. This is like having two kids fighting, you know, that your teams are facing each other, but you're conveniently ignoring the other team that you care about, the Dallas Cowboys, who I believe played a football game on Sunday night. I believe, John. When you're doing the analysis, what, Kelvin Kiptum is, let's see, no, Tom Brady is... Elliot Kipchoge is Tom Brady. Kelvin Kiptum is Patrick Mahomes. Who's the Dak Prescott of the marathon world, John? Um, certainly can't be someone who's finished in the top four. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, I, I was thinking about this. I'm like, wait a minute, though. The Patriots just lost to the Cowboys 38-3. to And the Cowboys just lost to the Niners 42-10. to like, does that mean we're, you know, 80 points worse than the 40? I'm like, no, they, they wouldn't. They'd just put the backups in at that point. So, yeah. This will be good for the Cowboys. The Cowboys do best when there's no hype. So, but it's what do you mean? When in the history of the Dallas Cowboys has there been no hype? This is a team generates hype even when they weren't good. The year Tony Romo went down in preseason. Oh, that is true. Yeah. And then they, still didn't make it to the NFC championship game, but that was a big, yeah, Dax rookie year. Okay. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the let's run.com track talk podcast. We've got the nutty comb invitational college cross country on Friday. That's kind of the big thing. This upcoming week, no world marathon majors, nothing that I have to get up at 5am or anything because my alarm, the last three weeks, it was, 315 for Berlin, 420 for the World Row Running Champs, and then 530 to get from my hotel to the media center in Chicago. It's going to be nice sleeping in on Sunday. But we've we've got more stuff to come after that. New York City Marathon coming later, NCAA Cross coming later. We'll have our Friday 15 as usual for you as well. Until then. Yeah, if you're liking this podcast... I think you'd really like a second podcast every week. Join the supporters club. Let's run.com slash subscribe. And if you want a better running shoe, check it out. Let's run.com slash shoes. Hey, hey, Diego, I don't know if you can hear us. If you can chime in, tell us what you're seeing. What, what it I'm looks here. like from your vantage point. What does it look like from your vantage point? What do you think? He's about to turn on to Roosevelt. He's well aware of what he's doing, and the crowd is starting to feed him some energy. He knows well, it's he after at 800. He stared at me. Diego, he just can you gave hear me us? that look. Yes, I can hear you. He can hear you. You can't hear he's him. Up. I don't think he's he looking. can hear you. Can you hear me now? Yes, go. Can you? Oh, yes. So he's looking good. 800 to go. He looked at 800 and he started pressing. Right now, he's just about to crest the hill. He's, he knows what he's doing. He is hurting, but he's got his eyes on the clock. He seems focused. His stride is starting to shorten a little bit. His arm drive is starting to swing left and right a little more, but we'll find out soon.
Back to you. Okay.